And welcome back to Passport Playlist. You're listening to WSCFM and HD1 Columbia. My name is DJ Auto Vo- Audio Voyager. And my name is DJ Global Spence. Our guest today is the lovely Dr. Federica Clementi. Yay! Um, she is the chair of the Jewish Studies Department here at the University of South Carolina. She is super awesome, super cool. Mm. She baked us meringue today. It was so good, you she, guys. She, I showed up to meet her, and she was like, I stress bake. Here's some meringue. And I was like, wow, I feel blessed. Honestly, I feel so lucky. Me too. Um, I feel she better. She is super amazing and inspiring um, mm-hmm. and is a really good force just for good and for intellectual conversations and dialogue at our university. Um, and she's also super sweet. And so we are so excited to have her. So grab your favorite snack. Maybe it's meringue. Maybe something mm-hmm. else. I don't know, but grab it and get excited and ready to have this great interview that we're going to have today. As always, if you would like to call in to our lovely station, the number is 803-576-9872. That's 803-576-WUSC. Keep it here and keep it locked because after this short little musical interlude, we, we will be beginning our, our um, interview with our guest for the week. So stay tuned and we will be back with you all in just a couple of minutes. Hi everybody. Welcome back to Passport Playlist. We are here today with our lovely, lovely guest. So why don't you remind us about your name and tell us where you work and like should I pronounce university? it properly or uh, yes. in understandably? Pro- usually I just go with Frederica Clementi. Both, both. I want to yes. both. But my real name is Federica Kaufman Clementi. Federica. Federica. Mm-hmm. Klaufman Clementi. Clementi. No okay. one calls me that, though. Really? We can try to call you that. <laughs> I can try. Okay, I usually do Federica <laughs> with an R. Just it's okay. easier. Well, we'll just go by Frederica yeah, with, because my American tongue can't handle it. But <laughs> So what do you teach here on campus? I do. I'm in the English department, and mm-hmm. I, do, I do teach Jewish studies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also do general uh, courses in English, like uh, Great Books of the Western World, mm-hmm. Women Writers, mm-hmm. um, and I do. Um, I teach the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, my courses on the Holocaust are actually usually great. Great, I love them, and the students mm-hmm. are wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, graduate courses and undergraduate courses. Oh, very cool. I was about to ask you though. I was like, how are the students and things like uh, Jewish studies and like the Holocaust courses and like the women's studies? Because like, are they usually very like receptive to hearing about these type of things, or do you ever get any kind of like backlash? I did. No, usually students are wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big believer in students. Um, they're great. Your generation is wonderful. Oh, thank you. Girls, it's uh, absolutely astounding. Yeah. <laughs> and so normally it's great. I feel very safe. My classes, you know, um, I've always been very nice and safe as an environment. Everybody feels very comfortable talking and expressing their, just at times even very personal um, things and experiences, particularly in the Women Writers one, which is oh, yeah. the coolest. Yeah. Um, I only had a semi-bad experience teaching the Holocaust in well, what was it? It was 4-2018? No, sorry. No, sorry. 4-2017. Yes, which is the, the fall after Charlottesville. Um, uh. And then immediately, if you remember, there were the, you know, these Nazi, neo-Nazi mm-hmm. marches in Charlottesville. The semester starts a few days later. I was teaching a Holocaust course, which went from... I don't know, 90 students enrolled to 150. I thought, oh, great. You know, it's because probably. And for the first time, I had a little bit of a, I mean, a kind of a, a pushback. There were some students that were very, um, yeah. I don't know, unusual. I, I didn't expect um, students your age, young people, yeah. um, 
unable to be touched by issues like genocide. Yeah. You know, they were absolutely uh, resistant mm-hmm. <laughs> to the idea. Mm-hmm. Well, just didn't care. Yeah, all of this just definitely has to be one of those types of subjects that when you teach it, it's very emotional. Mm-hmm. Very. I bet. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of times it's like, I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe if you're a mathematics professor and you get mm-hmm. very emotional when you teach mathematics. But these are very like <laughs> sensitive subjects, yeah. and I feel like yeah. it like you have to be very, very um, like emotionally sensitive yeah. and like culturally sensitive yeah. to this type of thing. And I feel like that could probably take a lot of energy. A lot. It yeah. drains me very much. It's very hard. If I teach the whole Holoc- Holocaust course for two semesters in a row, it actually does take a little bit of a token and I need mm. some time off. It's very hard. Yeah. I do try. I learned a little bit not to just cry all the time. Like, yeah. like doctors, <laughs> right? They just say you just like... I uh, couldn't handle it. I would have. be crying all the time. And But but I also let the students know that, I, you know, when they feel uh, pain mm-hmm. or emotion, they do too. They're very empathic. So, mm-hmm. um, And I show a lot of documentary film. Yeah, usually documentaries are really my passion. So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and it's okay. And I give them a few minutes to let it sink in. Mm-hmm. Although I don't go for the really hyper-traumatic. I, re- I try to yeah. be as delicate as I can in the classroom. But, you know, if you're sensitive, you don't even need to see the most mm-hmm. horrible images you just know it's yeah. horrible it's horrible well how long have you been at usc teaching this oh since 2008 i came down from new york city i was in new york for many years and then i got this job mm-hmm. and i came down to south carolina looked it up on the map where is south yeah. carolina <laughs> well, did you get your degree in new york yeah yeah. Oh, very cool. What school? Uh, so I came to the United States for my gra- for graduate school, Brandeis University in Boston, Waltham, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Then after my master's, I took a little bit of a break. And mostly, I'm ashamed to say, is because I didn't want to be in Waltham, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> I was young. <laughs> and I just, just went to New York. And so, and then I thought, ah, you know, I don't want to go back now to finish my PhD. And I finished it at um, the Graduate Center, mm-hmm. uh, City University of New York. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So, where did you get, like, your master's and your PhD and everything? The master's in? was in the late 90s, and the I finished my PhD in 2007. There was a big oh. gap. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you study? I did uh, well, um, Near Eastern and Judaic Studies, mm-hmm. and then Comparative Literature. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And in, the, in between, I've been a journalist yeah. most of my adult life before being a professor. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I also happen to know that, like me, you've studied a lot of languages. <laughs> so how many languages do you speak? Um, ten, but who's counting? Ten? <laughs> no, no, don't really, I don't. I mean, the thing I, I've, I know by and large ten yeah. languages around about then, that, that number. But I has you know I don't speak them anymore. Mm-hmm. I, there was a time where I was very fluent in most of them, mm-hmm. and just you know unless you speak them, you lose them. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that's like a very high maintenance thing. Oh my god, it's yeah. so difficult to keep yeah. up. I mean, I I have di- Italian is my native language. Yeah, and uh, and sometimes I just don't have the words. I talk to my yeah. friends. I'm like. <laughs> it's pathetic. I mean, the most yeah. obvious word is like, I, I don't know. Well, if it makes you feel better, I have one French class now and one Spanish class now. And like next year, I'm going to be having like all French, Spanish and Portuguese yeah. classes. But even now, like I'm mixing up my languages mm-hmm. yep. and it's like I'm just retaining so much more information in other languages. My English is just flying out of my head. <laughs> I cannot speak to the level right. that I could this time last year. I Half of my vocabulary now is just like thingamajig, whatchamacallit. <laughs> like, 
I cannot remember words to save my life. I think earlier today I was trying to say trois in French, which just means three. (laughs) And then like for some reason I kept trying to say like tres, like in Spanish. But like I tried to say it with a French Mm -hmm. accent. So I just kept saying tres, like which means just very. And then my, my professor just looked at me like, what is going on with her? And it was just. It was not a good moment. It was embarrassing. It was at 8.30 in the morning. And I'd like to say that it was because it was that early, but really, realistically, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that, just like as the day goes. Well, I've been here for 20-something years, and, <laughs> and so, yeah, and I had to focus on English, and uh It's uh, the worst so. feeling, though, when you can't remember mm-hmm. that one specific word you're yeah. trying to say. Yeah. And, oh, it's just... I know. Ugh. But so Italian is your first language? Yes, Italian, French, and Polish mm-hmm. are my kind of three basic languages that oh. I grew up so with. Ooh. And then I studied other languages. I studied mm-hmm. Russian, Ukrainian, Czech, German, Hebrew. Mm. Oh, that's very cool. Because those are languages that like not a lot of people here know. You know, <laughs> like Czech and Hebrew. I mean, maybe a few people know Hebrew, but really not all that many. So you get really just like have like a little secret conversation <laughs> with somebody they're great languages Slavic languages are the best yeah yeah. I love it when you find somebody that you speak a common language with that the majority of mm-hmm. other people don't know because you can just like speak in private it's <laughs> so fun <laughs> do you have like an absolute favorite language oh goodness or one that's just like I don't know okay all the la- of course I don't know I mean I know just these few languages I don't know mm-hmm. all the languages so it's very hard oh I know Spanish um, but um uh, actually, so th- I think the two most beautiful ones are English and Polish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? Just like the way that they sound. The, the way they sound, actually, um, because the way they're very flexible languages. Oh really? You can do so many things with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Italian is such an old language; it's very. Um, you really can't, for example, create new words in Italian. Mm. It, that's it. It's, it you, you, in fact, we have tons of English words, word, words we borrow from other languages. While in English and Polish, you can do neologisms, you can play with the language so exquisitely. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't really do that with other, many other languages. Um, yeah. They're beautiful, they're gorgeous. There are some sentences in English, or the majority of sentences in English, is like if you put stress on like a mm-hmm. different word like any word in the sentence mm-hmm. it'll have a different meaning and so that's just one of the things that makes me very glad that English was my first language yeah. because yeah. If it's hard enough to learn French and Spanish mm-hmm. and Portuguese which are like complicated languages but like English is just like you said it's very flexible but at the same time the grammar rules are just so so strict and it's um, not a phonetic language right. like French is because French like if you see a word like you can be like yes that is how you pronounce that but with english it's just kind of like you just have to know right yeah because like have you ever seen the show i love lucy no oh well it's an american classic you gotta watch <laughs> it but it's about um an american woman and she marries a cuban man um and so she's pregnant and uh he's like looking through one of like the children's books to read to their son whenever they have a kid and so he's just having issues because words like cough, through, though, <laughs> bow. Right. And they all have the same like O-U-G-H right. end, but they're all just pronounced so incredibly differently. And it, like you really don't know just <laughs> how hard the, your native language is until yes. you see somebody else trying to speak it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very, very glad. So let me ask you, why, do you, why are you studying all these languages? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I want to be a translator because I had this high school teacher and she was my French teacher and... 
she was just like fabulous personified you know mm. she just told all these stories about when she was young mm. and like traveled all around and like was a translator and like she told us the story of how like she met her husband in Switzerland <laughs> and like it was just so cute and it just I thought like yeah that's kind of the life I for me I want to be her you know <laughs> that's it's like, great yeah and she was just always so nice and so worldly like you really remind me of her a lot oh, so, thank you yeah. Thank you. I just I wanted to be just like that. That's but great. we are going to get into some music now and we will be right back. So keep it locked on WSC 90.5. So what countries have you lived in besides oh. the States? Right. Uh, I lived in Poland for quite a few years because I went to university there. Mm-hmm. So I... I was a student at University of Rome, but what I wanted to study was really not offered there. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I wanted to do my dissertation. Well, university in Europe is very different, or used to be very different um, from the American system. So um, I knew that I wanted to study a Polish Jewry, um, the Jews of Poland or the Jews of Central Eastern Europe, a particular Poland in the interwar period, and there were no such courses, no, nothing like that at the time in Rome. And so I thought, well, then I'll go to Poland. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just went, I did this kind of joint program with the University of Warsaw and then later Krakow. Oh, wow. And those were the best years of my life. Really? I lived in Ukraine, in Poland, in, well, I don't Czechoslovakia, Bohemia, <laughs> Czech Republic, uh, yeah. whatever you want to call it, Prague. We'll just call it Prague. And a little bit in Russia, but really lived as in spending months having a house and mm-hmm. that's Poland. Like yes. the real stuff, not the just real, like Yes, not just visiting for long periods, just actually living. Yeah. I lived in Poland, lived in Israel. Yeah. Well, um, so typically I think when a lot of people talk about like, oh, I'm going backpacking through Europe, they're like mainly thinking Western Europe, mm-hmm. like France, like maybe Germany, uh, Spain, Italy, that type of thing, the UK. Um, so I feel like a lot of people, they kind of, put uh, Eastern Europe on the back burner. They don't give it as much credit as it deserves. So, like, what parts of, like, Eastern Europe do you think a lot of people are just, like, really underrated? Mm -hmm. Like, Well, for a lot of people, um, at least people I hang out with would be Jewish people, um, American Jews. Mm -hmm. They do go to Poland, but sadly, they do the Holocaust tour. So, oh. I mean, people that go to Europe a lot of times end up in Eastern Europe to see the concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Okay, I yeah. think it's people should see them, should, should visit. But then again, so in terms of going for a semester, right, a semester mm-hmm. abroad, I would be thrilled if my child went to Krakow, for example, St. Petersburg, Krakow? Moscow. It's Krakow, or Krakow, is a, Krakow. this amazing um city in Poland. It used to be the capital until Stalin decided that Warsaw would become the capital mm-hmm. uh, because Krakow was too cool. Yeah. And there were too many intellectuals, too much free thinking, and oh. so it, it just moved the capital elsewhere. Um, and it's, it's amazing. The universities are fantastic. People are welcoming, are fun. Um, it's mm-hmm. just the cuisine is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so. like, I feel like a lot of people forget that, like, wow, the Holocaust stuff is super important and there's nothing to be forgotten. Like, a whole history sure. was there Absolutely. beforehand. It's yeah. a whole rich, deep yes. history. And yes. it's, like, not something to yeah. be forgotten. And, and honestly, Polish people are awesome. Yeah? I mean, they're awesome. They're friendly. They're fun. 
they're very well read. They know everything. Particularly, I was there in the 90s. So it was, I was there. It was still, communism was still alive, but just about to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 1988, yeah. 1989. And Honestly, then that's into the 90s. I saw, I saw the wall, Berlin Wall, come down. I actually really? saw it, yes. And so this transitional period... And, you know, we had this idea, and I'm sure in America, the propaganda that, you know, these people are slaves of communism. They are, they know nothing. They, I don't know, they live in caves or something. Mm-hmm. They knew us. I mean, we know nothing about them, actually. I mean, if I, you can go around and ask people, you know, uh, tell me a Polish singer or a Russian yeah. writer, contemporary writer, I mean, not maybe the, the classics. Um, they knew everything about us, everything. They knew our music, they knew our pop culture, they knew our films, they knew our literature, classical, grade, mm-hmm. the canon, and everything. And it was, it was just amazing. And yeah. everything was free, basically. I remember, you know, concerts every week. I could go to the greatest um, classical music concerts and theater, um, fantastic theater for free. As a student, you just paid, I don't know, the equivalent of... 20 cents and yeah. and here in America you can't it's yeah. expensive it's for the elites it's just for those who can afford it it's not for the common man it is not well there mm-hmm. everybody you know had books that cost nothing and you know so yeah that's so interesting and um I heard you say something about living in Israel mm-hmm. as a well yeah. um so like I know like you're like you um teach Jewish studies mm-hmm. and stuff did you notice any kind of difference in the way that like Judaism is perceived in places like Poland and Eastern Europe versus in like Israel? Do you feel like uh, like Jewish people are treated differently? Do you feel like uh, things are celebrated differently? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Europe is very anti-Semitic. I've heard that. <laughs> I mean, as in really anti-Semitic. If I could, sh- if you could see the images in my head, if you could just mm-hmm. for a moment enter into my brain. <laughs> Yeah. And see, like projected on the screen of my memory, the um, images I remember from growing up, the writings on the wall, the anti-Semitic stuff everywhere on the walls of Rome. Like I was born in Rome, downtown Rome. And um, the stadiums, the soccer stadiums with all these neo-fascist, neo-Nazi slogans. Mm-hmm. And I mean, horrible. Mm-hmm. And... And there was actual violence against Jews of Europe. Mm-hmm. And there's still today, but particularly when I was growing up, it was, now it's frowned upon. Now it makes the news and people march, you know, in, yeah. in, in, in um, uh, uh, you know, kind of sympathy with the community. Back then it was like, ah, yeah. so what? I mean, you wouldn't catch the chief rabbi of the Jewish community of Rome with a, a kippah, with a yarmulke, um, the skull cap on his head, yeah. if his life, de- if in fact, his life depended on it. Yeah. Um, it was just not done. Um, very dangerous. And then there was so much terrorism. There was so, there was so much uh, anti-Semitism. And there was some anti-Semitism of two kinds. You had the fascist brand, which is, you know, they're fascists. Mm-hmm. And they hate the Jews, period, you know, for all the racist reasons that we know. Yeah. And then there is a very refined and sophisticated hate of Jews that comes from the left, from the mm-hmm. Communist Party, from the Socialist Party. So even my really world-loving, um, uh, progressive friends that would welcome anybody from everywhere and they're really, you know, humanitarian, mm-hmm. feel-good, peaceniks, not the Jews. When it came to the Jews, it's like, ah, 
and particularly it's masked as anti-Zionism, as anti-Israel, uh, but it's really anti-Semitism. So I got very tired of that. Um, I, I saw violence. I was the victim of violence, of anti-Semitic really? violence, yes, myself. Um, small episodes, but, you know, repeated enough that you at some point just say, that's yeah, it. Small so, episodes are still episodes. Uh, so episodes. And then you say, you know, bigger things that happen to the communities are really sad. So I went to Israel, and it's like going home. <laughs> really? Suddenly, you are... Th- and again, I think it's a particular feeling for Europeans, the people mm-hmm. my generation or previous generations. You just go to Israel, and it's and you just like, ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> the land for, for the Jews. No one hates... I mean... There are problems. Yes, there are problems. But it's a country, it's a Jewish country. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it it, it is, it means something. It really means something. You know, if Mm -hmm. a minority oppressed, um, um, uh, you know, made the target of genocide forever, suddenly has a place that you can, so you can, you're small, you might be weak, you might be killed. Mm Mm-hmm. But at least it's in your country. I mean, it, it means something. You have yeah. a place. You're, n- you're not just always almost a guest in someone else's place, in someone else, else's nation. It yeah. makes a huge difference. Because I find that, like, a lot of people um, who are, like, probably born in Europe, like, really take that for granted, you know? Because it's so, I don't know, like, it's obviously so much more, like, difficult for somebody who's, like, um, lived in a different country and, like, been oppressed and actually been a victim of violence. But I have, like, noticed for, like, Americans sometimes it's, like, a little bit weird because, like, we have this weird, like, little duality yeah. going yeah. on. Yeah. And yeah. it's, like, like yeah, we're American. And, like, it's much easier for, like, a white American, too, because, like, colonization and everything. So it still feels like, you know, yeah. your country because that yeah. we, it was just set up for the white man. That's yeah. just, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the and truth. I am against but, um, borders and nationalism and all of that stuff. Yeah, but it is true absolutely. that particularly when you are the target, I mean, think of the Armenians. Yeah. Is that you, if you have a country, at least you have... A chance of defending yourself. Yeah. If you don't, because like yeah, as an just, American, it just feels weird. It's like, well, I could have been from there, and like I could have lived there. Like if like my ancestors had stayed in place. Like so, it feels weird. But like if you're actually a victim of violence, like that makes the thing yeah. so much stronger. Right. The feeling, but yeah. that's just crazy. And like so, what's it like compared with um, Eastern Europe and like? The, how you feel like you express or you um, experience like anti-Semitism in the United States? Oh. Because like obviously with like Charlottesville stuff, we yeah. still have our yeah. definite yeah. issues. But um, it almost like I don't know. I personally have like never had any experience with that. But that maybe, maybe that's just because I have like the privilege of the fact that like I haven't like I was just born like a regular white woman, and so like I've never had to experience anything firsthand. So I've never had my eyes opened. So do you feel like it's just as common in the U.S.? So, um, so I'll, I'll actually I'll add a little bit to my, um, my, you know, the story of my journey. So two things pushed me out of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, one was anti-Semitism and one was show, um, um, uh, misogyny. Actually, chauvinism mm-hmm. too, but that's like misogyny really. Um, very patriarchal um, nations, Europe is very, and again, particularly 20 years ago, um, I mean, there was no at me to movement. Uh, mm-hmm. There was, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty bad for women. Um, yeah. And as a woman, I suffered a lot from kind of this climate of, you know, what you have to the compromises if you want to make it type of thing. Yeah, but they were there everywhere. I mean, whoever says differently is lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Believe me, they're lying. Any woman says, no, no, I never experienced that on the workplace in Europe. 
they're lying. And I understand <laughs> why. I do respect that. Sometimes yeah. you just want to, but it, it, it was a thing. It, it was a thing, probably still a thing. Um, and so those two things completely pushed me out of Europe. And I thought coming to America, I knew nothing of America mm-hmm. other than what I saw all my life in films <laughs> and heard in songs, pop songs. So my knowledge was just all from TV shows and film. Well, actually, mm-hmm. the, in the world, America is... Hollywood is what you know is this, yeah. which is not the reality, of course. Absolutely so not. <laughs> everybody like women have can make it. There is no, you know, um, if if someone does something, there's lawsuits everywhere, and so um, men are more respectful of women, and <laughs> there's more justice. Plus, there's no, um, the kind there's no anti anti semitism. Is kind of the um, golden in Medina is like this mm-hmm. golden. Uh, um, um, place where, where Jews come and are welcome. Blah, blah, blah. So I came to the United States, and about a year later after I arrived, the um, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky case oh, broke yeah. out. I said, oh, look, women are actually... <laughs> <laughs> Oops, that happens but also here in the office, in the, and then all the way up to the president. <laughs> Darn. And, um, and then, yes, also anti-Semitism. Uh, there is nothing, nothing compares to Europe. Mm-hmm. It's up here is actually very good, absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. by comparison. But then again, mm-hmm. uh, given the opportunity, you see things like, and the opportunity is Trump. In this case, mm-hmm. the opportunity has been Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you see the new Nazi marches, you see, you know, here, um, 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 I don't know if you remember about two years ago, there were all these swastikas that appeared in Lexington County, mm-hmm. and, you know, there was a threat for um, a major, actually, um, shooting in the synagogue on Myrtle Beach that mm-hmm. was, you know, thank goodness, oh, was yeah, actually avoided. Yeah. So given the opportunity, the this, this stuff is, is there. And um, so it was very disappointing. So I went to, so in, in, in Europe, I did witness a lot of terrorism bombs and things exploding everywhere. There were like really the, um, oh, wow. we call it lead years, like these years of, you know, a lot of fights and political fights. And I would go to Israel and the Intifada started. I was in Jerusalem and it was, it was terrible. I mm-hmm. mean, buses being blown blown up, uh, one yeah. actually in front of just I was there. I just I was in the next bus. Uh, so major trauma for me um, to see people dying. I mean, it was really horrible. Yeah. I come to the United States thinking, finally, that's it. I left all that behind me. And I was in New York City on 9-11. Oh. So it's kind of this thing where you realize that the world is really one also for the worse. I mean, for the better and for the worse. Mm-hmm. And at some point it's like, oh, there you go. When Just when you think, you know, yeah. this stuff doesn't happen here, yeah. you have to start reconsidering your whole, yeah. your whole thing, your whole vision. Yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily that like we have like less hate mm-hmm. or anything. It's just like our hate is allocated differently. Differently, absolutely. It happens in the modes are different. Um, your police force is also very powerful here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that this is a police state, but it, the police is very strong in America. Yeah, Something that we don't have actually in Europe, that less, less so. I've noticed that while traveling. Right. I'm like, yeah. where are these police yes. on the road? I'm like yes. waiting for some speed traps yeah. or something. Yeah, it's very different. So, and th- that also helps and doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. It depends on who you are. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Whether or not you're the one being pulled yes, over. Put, yes, yes. Yeah. And being beaten just for, you know, walking while black yeah yeah absolutely i was actually about to ask and um this might be our last question before we switch into some music um but do you see any kind of similarities between the way that um jewish people are treated in europe and the way that african-americans are treated here with the racism or do you feel like 
the racism is like it takes root in different ways? It's a great question, like truly amazing question. Um, I do use a lot of times when I do my courses on Jewish identity or anti-Semitism or the Holocaust, I always bring in the African-American experience because they do have a lot of, I mean, there is a commonality for sure. Um, and I even say, although I know that um, uh, uh, slavery was not a genocide uh, mm -hmm. and it doesn't qualify as, as such, I always make sure to say, well, particularly at the end of the semester, the modalities, the way in which slavery operated, which is by keeping people chained, not free, you deprive them of their names, of their identity, you humiliate them, you work them to death mm -hmm. into kind of uh, 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 enclosed spaces of, of these, you know, death farms that were yeah. the uh, plantations. Mm -hmm. It's When you think about these modes, then... Mm -hmm. And when you think about how a concentration camp worked, it's, of course it's not the same, but it's the same mentality that builds one, builds the other. Mm -hmm. So I think there are some similarities. Um, but then again, the historical experiences are very, very different, mm -hmm. completely different uh, for sure. But, yeah. but yeah, yeah, like hate what is you hate. Saying about like how um, they're so similar, like it's definitely true because um, they kind of are, they kind of were like death camps because I was learning in US history last semester that like, if you went to the Caribbean mm -hmm. or to South America or whatever, they would typically, um, on like uh, sugarcane mm -hmm. fields, like the life expectancy of the average healthy male slave was maybe three or four years. And then that's why they just like kept getting like Precisely. more and more people mm -hmm. brought in. Mm -hmm. So it's like they definitely like were working them to death. They were stripping them of their language, yeah. of their they culture, no of rights. their homeland, yeah. of their family. Yeah. They were game. You could rape anybody. You could beat anybody mm -hmm. to death. Absolutely. They had no value other than the economic value. Had yeah. that changed before the end of slavery? Mm -hmm. Who knows if, if a genocide would have been called? I mean, I don't know. Of course, I'm yeah. completely, it's not, mm -hmm. I'm not a historian of this, but I, you know, again, if we are capable, I mean, we know we are capable of this, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And so. Yeah. And one thing that, like, I really um, did want to, like, comment on is the fact that you were saying, like, America was always seen as such, like, an ideal. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, women are treated equally. Mm -hmm. Everybody's cool. But, like, it's, like, not true. And then I feel like a lot of people look at Europe, especially, like, places like Finland and the mm -hmm. Netherlands with, like, their education system. Yeah. And we're just like, wow, oh, my gosh, you have it so together. But I feel like a lot of time people don't talk about the anti-Semitism yeah. that, like, runs very yeah. deep throughout European yeah. culture. And so it's, like, I don't know. It's, like, we perceive you guys as an ideal and, like, Europeans perceive Americans as an ideal. And really it's, like... We have, like, equal amounts of hate, but like I said, Absolutely. they are just, like, allocated differently. Yes, that's and a very so good way of putting it, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. very interesting. That's some food for thought for you guys. We're going to take it down a little bit, play some nice music while we all sit and absorb all that. So enjoy it and keep it locked on 90.5. Welcome back, guys. So getting back a little bit into our interview here. So you teach Jewish studies yes. here. You're the head of the department, I the, believe. It's a program. It's a program. program. Tiny, okay. tiny program. Tiny little. And why are you not one of my students? I Okay. <laughs> so, so Dr. Clenty and I have this argument. Not Okay, not argument. This, like, conversation every single time we're together. <laughs> and I am already double majoring, and I have a minor. But she just really, really wants me to pick up a second minor. Yes. And as much as I want to, your girl doesn't have time. <laughs> like, I can barely remember my name, let alone like 
Oh, man. Because you would be wonderful. You're an A-plus student. Maybe. And, and I need she you She says this, but I've never been in her class. How does she know I'm an A-plus student? I know, I know. I'm not. So prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a dare? <laughs> oh, man. So. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. When I come back, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Um, so anyway, so you're the head of the program here yes. at USC. Um, so how has the program um, like, uh, like progressed in the past few years? Because I've heard a little bit about the program and about how it was started um, like in the past 10 years or so mm-hmm. while Dr. Pastides has been here. Mm-hmm. Um, so how has it sort of like changed and shifted and grown in the past few years while yeah. you've been here? I, um, I'm, I've only been the uh, director of the program for the past year and a half or so. And gotcha. before me, it, there was... A, uh, a colleague of mine and a good friend, um, Professor Dubinsky, I don't know if you know him, a linguist, very famous, world-famous linguist, uh, uh, Stan Dubinsky. He's actually the, the, the person who started the whole thing together with uh, Marianne Fitzpatrick, who was the previous dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, and of course with uh, Dr. Pastidi's blessing. So the three of them put together this incredible thing for South Carolina, which is a you know program in Jewish studies. Um, and whatever uh, progress um, the, the, the program saw in the last few years, which is really hard to start a brand new program from, from scratch, um, it's owed to them. I mean, their work was incredible. And my colleague Stan has had a vision for it. He hired me and my the other four uh, faculty, um, core faculty members. He's put together an incredible team of people teaching Jewish studies from um, several uh, 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 angles and perspectives. So the, I am Jewish studies and I'm under English. There are two colleagues who teach Jewish studies, but they're un- under the history department. And we have a colleague um, who is in religious studies. And then, of course, Professor Olmert in, uh, in political sciences. So um, we basically we have a big, giant umbrella department under which we, we work. And But we all belong also to the Jewish studies program. And the program has grown. It had we didn't have a minor until about a year ago, two years ago, oh, okay. and so that's uh, now it's. And I hope that during my tenure as director, um, I will make it to also establish a major in Jewish studies. That would be fantastic. Be awesome. It would be awesome, and a language also. Of course. Yeah, I know. Yes. Um, I am currently in the class with Professor Olmert, mm-hmm. um, and I know that that's one thing that he brings up a lot um, is that you know yes. we have a Jewish studies department, but that we're lacking in Hebrew. Yes. yes. Um, and I, I he. He talks about it and he says, you know, like, how can you have a department with no language? Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I definitely think that that's, like, a really, really good point because, yeah. I mean, he was also bringing up the point where if you, you know, minor or even major in Jewish studies, then you go somewhere and you want to get your master's, for example. Absolutely. And they're going to they're gonna ask, of course, oh, so are you proficient in Hebrew? Yes. And if you say, no, I've never had, I don't speak a lick of Hebrew, right. like, I've never taken it, then that's going to be a real, you know, like, a like disservice yes. to your students. And yeah. so I think that that's definitely something that yeah. I would love, you know, to be able to take Hebrew. Sure. Because I've only taken languages that, of course, use the, um, the um, Phoenician alphabet. So I think that that would be really, really interesting to be yeah. able to take something completely outside, also, like, not only of my comfort zone, but also of, you know, like, what I'm familiar with. So I think that that would be mm-hmm. really, really cool. Um, and maybe I will pick up a Jewish mm-hmm. studies minor. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I never, I changed my major like twice. Like, I don't know what I'm like every week I have a new interest. So we'll <laughs> see what happens. Um, so what is your view on the status of Jewish studies um, as a whole in the United States? Because I know that it's been something um, from what I've read about it, that it's sort of like gaining ground a little bit 
um, at a lot of different universities. So how do you see it um, as a whole, like its status um, no, in the American it's, college? It's wonderful. I mean, again, in Europe, you didn't. Ha- now you have programs in Jewish studies um, in the, the, the biggest universities, greatest centers. Bef- when I was young, and I mean, I'm not that old. I mean, I'm older, but not that old. So only 20 years ago, 15 years ago, we didn't have anything like that. While America had Jewish studies programs thriving, established fantastic um, uh, study centers with amazing scholars, professors, writers since always. I mean, mm-hmm. at least the 60s. Okay, let's call the 60s always. Um, <laughs> and then the 70s. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Jewish studies in America is an incredible discipline and the greatest scholars are here. If anybody anywhere in the world wants to study Jewish studies, you come to America. Mm-hmm. You, you go to Israel or you come to America. Um, and you have Brandeis, New York, Chicago, California, UCLA. I can't even list them all. Almost all universities that count have a very strong Jewish studies program. And it's wonderful, fantastic. And Canada as well. North America, I should say. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, I think it's really interesting because, you know, like when I first came to USC and I was looking through all the majors and I pretty much already knew what I wanted to study. Um, but like I saw it there and I thought that it was really, really interesting. You know, like, oh, like Jewish studies, like I, you know, never like it. I guess in the back of my mind, it made sense that it would be there, but I never really like sought it out. So it was really interesting to me. And then also um, like the work that I do now at the Anne Frank House and having those resources there, like that's so awesome yes. that I, you know, I met you and I've met um, you know, like all of these other um, like like wonderful people at the university who are here for the sole purpose of, you know, sort of like doing education about that. Um, so, so, so I think that it's a really, really cool resource that we have at our university. So lobby with your audience to have a, um, to put pressure on the administration to give us a language course, even Maybe. just one, just to start, just one. Well, if Professor Olmer listens we really to the show, to so then much. I know that he can... And my, you know, the previous happen, director did, I mean, everything in his power to establish uh, a language uh, track for us. And I'd love to do the same. I'm trying to do the same. So if anybody out there is interested, <laughs> send letters. <laughs> call us in. <laughs> yes, yeah. call us in. Just let's you know, put some pressure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what is the favorite class of yours that you teach here at USC? Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm I'm lucky. Uh, they really let me teach what I like, what I want. I'm so I mean, great books of the Western world. We, women writers, perhaps, is my favorite one. I love gotcha. my women. <laughs> so, what is what is the fa- like? What is your favorite um, like female writer that you teach in that class? Mm, I don't have one. Which I might love be a all. difficult question. Yeah, yeah, I love them all because they're all strong, amazing, revolutionary, um, each in her own right. So you look at. Um, Harriet Jacobs' incidents in the life of a, of a slave girl, because actually I, I like to work on memoirs and autobiographies very much. Um, how different women write, um, you know, a, a memoir, a, the story of their lives from the way men do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, there's, you know, uh, Virginia Woolf, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, whom I adore. Um, but there's so many, um, so many. You, before you said, keep on trucking, <laughs> which made me laugh <laughs> because I teach Robert Crumb's wives uh, uh, memoir in fact on Monday students do read by Monday do your reading this weekend (laughs) (laughs) we're we're doing we're doing um, Aline Kominsky Crumb's uh, memoir Need More Love and um, yeah I love graphic uh, memoirs I love you know women are brilliant yeah and I think it kind of goes along with a theme that we've been doing sort of this month of like you know International Women's History Month Um, and things like that, because it's something, obviously, that to DJ Global Spins and I is super important, just elevating the stories of women, yes. just showing, you know, especially since our show has such, like, an international context, yes. 
showing women not only from America where like we sometimes take our status for granted but also in countries where women unfortunately don't have the status that we enjoy here in the United States Um, so I definitely think that it's really really awesome that you are able to give students access to that because it's something that you know we take for granted a lot but like once you look into it it really is so enlightening um, for all of us be sure to follow us on Instagram our handle is at Passport Playlist or look us up on Facebook you can just search Passport Playlist and our profile picture is a little globe with some cute little headphones on it is our new um, profile picture that we just released so we are super excited about it so keep it here and keep it locked and we hope that you guys enjoy the mystery music that will be on next and we are back with Dr. Clementi for another part of our interview. So we've been talking a little bit about like anti-Semitism that you experienced um, when you were living in Eastern Europe and also you know Europe in general and in Israel and here. Um, so one thing kind of going off of that is that you know free speech um, has been in the spotlight a lot for the past few years at American universities. We actually had um, like Turning Point and Campus Clash come here this week, um, which is something that they advertise for a lot on our campus. Um, and so anti-Semitism has also kind of been, like, flowing in. Um, it's something that is mentioned a lot, you know, um, just with, like, the different, like, demonstrations that we have, different speakers, and the fact that college campuses, like, um, a lot of people, especially on the right, have been, like, pushing it a lot. Um, so how, like, do you think that free speech should be handled um, on college campus in the wake of a lot of the different things that we've been seeing? So it's, it's a big question, and it's a very American question. <laughs> Um, it, it really is because you guys, uh, I mean, free speech in America is is a religion. It's wonderful. It's I admire that about this country so much. Um, there are certain things, for example, that in Europe um, now after the fascist past and the Holocaust and the old Nazi experience are actually legal. I mean, so that was we we don't have a hundred percent free speech. Just th- mm-hmm. things that you that it's illegal to do or to say. Period. We yeah. made them illegal because we paid the cost of what it means to actually just blurt out any kind of hate, hateful uh, things that comes through your mind. But um, here, I think university has to be a safe place where free speech has to be guaranteed and, uh, yes, have almost a sacred status. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And But there is a difference. I mean, there is a difference between free speech and and hate speech and in this in this case anti-Semitism, you know, it's and it's not a thin line; it's a pretty thick line. Um, in mm-hmm. other words, it's very clear when we're just discussing things politics, because usually it, when it comes to anti-Semitism, we're referring to problems about uh, the present Israeli situation, Israeli-Palestinian situation, and there is an honest way of talking about it, where you say you are against the government, you're against the government's policies. And, you know, and I personally, uh, I dislike profoundly (laughs) Bibi Netanyahu and the Israeli government and its policies. I don't know them all. I don't follow daily the politics there. So I'm also ignorant. And I, you know, so of course, there's so much I I can't speak to because, um, but in general, any kind of central, central right or right wing thing, I detest. There's really nothing, there's no meeting point with them. But that's different from saying anything that is, oh, it's the Jews or it's world Jewry or, or Israel shouldn't exist. <laughs> it, again, it's not a fine line. You know, I can be against some American politics, Italian politics, but that doesn't affect, it doesn't, and there, I might be against, um, uh, uh, you know, Prime Minister uh, um, May, I don't hate British people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't happen when we talk about Israel. 
you know that's and so true. and that yeah, is a, a huge problem it's a good way to think about it you hate the, people hate one hates the israelis and, and that's not and when you pass that very thick line of demarcation then you go from free speech and discussion and to anti-semitism and and so that that should be at the very least we should acknowledge and try to fight back on that because again it one thing is the people one thing is their policies and mm-hmm. and the historical situation so yeah, and i think that that's one thing um i know that even in conversations because i mean i'm a poli sci student and i think and that's that that's a conversation that i have a lot with people is like oh i mean and it can start with you know me saying like oh like did you see the news about you know what's happening in israel with netanyahu and you know for example like the like indictment charges and i'm like okay like like you know like like what do you think about that and i think that people sometimes are afraid to criticize it because like they're afraid to look at that distinction between the people in mass and the government right. and so i think that that is like a good um like comparison that you were talking about you know like a, like a like a pma right. and saying like I don't like her policies, right. but I like the British people. And so I think that that's like a good way to think about it because I think that when we think about Israel, some of us have this fear of coming off the wrong way. Right. And so we don't really like know how to approach it, right. you know, because it is, you know, it's a place that we want to speak about in the right way and not be misconstrued and things like that. So I think that it is important to sort of just be able to understand how to start those conversations because, of course, they are always difficult to have. Um, but I think that it's important to be able to have them because, you know, this is an intellectual space and I think that we ought to have them. Um, so also, like, more about sort of, like, the rhetoric that, we, that we've been seeing. Um, so even though, like, this kind of rhetoric has always been common, like you were saying, you know, 20 years ago in Europe, you were experiencing anti-Semitism yeah. and things like that, um, it almost seems like there's been a larger spotlight on it, I guess, in the past, you know, like, five to ten years here in America. Um, one example of, the like, the culmination, I guess you could say, of this rhetoric um, was the Tree of Life shooting oh. in Pittsburgh, um, which was the largest act of anti-Semitism mm-hmm. in the States in a really, really long time, maybe ever, I'm not totally sure on that, though. Um, So what is your view of the shifts that we've seen in this rhetoric? Um, And also, how do you believe that we as common people, but also, um, you know, sort of like stalwarts in America, such as you, you know, teaching Jewish studies, um, can kind of combat such rhetoric? I I wish I had students ask me that in the classrooms. I don't have an answer. I wish I did. I probably would be like, you know, finding the cure to to hatred and and Mm -hmm. racism. I don't know. I I um I mean hate, racism and anti-Semitism are so radical. They they as in really rooted in the particularly in this case in the Western world in the Western mind and um but not only. And I don't know how to cure it. I teach this and I hope my students will be touched by what we talk about because you know again hate it doesn't it knows no confinement. If you hate one, you hate two, three, four. So you can't... I don't quite believe that someone can hate the Jews and be okay with non-white people, with women, with animals. I really think that there is a, a sense of, you know, this kind of... this desire to be um, uh, oppressive and to bully and to see one's own power dominate. I mean, I don't know. It, it's really what it boils down to. I don't know what's the solution... Education, knowing about things, going out of your comfort zone, um, uh, where, okay, when, and, and think. I mean, honestly, it all, it all, perhaps it all boils down to thinking. When you hear um, politicians nowadays telling you that everybody who speaks uh, Spanish coming into this country, they're rapists, they're, you know, uh, they are dangerous people, stop and think of your daily experience. 
the guy who's doing your, particularly in South Carolina, where at least my experience is a lot of gardeners or people doing, you know, the yard works are actually Mexicans most of the time or Salvadorians. Has that guy done anything to you? Does it, you know, just actually think, compare what you hear on TV or on the radio or whatever um, with your daily experience? You know, Muslims are all bad. They're coming in, they want us dead. And then maybe go out there, visit a mosque, make friends with the other, with capital O, and see what happens. Travel and then compare notes. Think for yourself. Like really... And then say, wait a second, this is not what I've been told. Actually, I see Mexican women and their children that work hard and they're kind and they're trying to learn my language and my holidays and they participate in society. You know, they want to be members of this society. And then you realize that, you know, perhaps this fear that is being instilled is not founded. You know, it's completely bogus. Um, another thing that I know a lot of people might n- not agree with me, um, and I, I see their point, their, their, their viewpoint, but um, is that I wish that without taking agency away from anybody, but I do wish that when um, there were more demonstrations of solidarity with the oppressed groups by the either oppressors or former oppressors. In other words, I do understand that it's important for Jewish people to, to march, black people to march, and whatever else, you know, women, uh, um, um, you know, uh, the, 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 I don't know, LGBTQIA plus community to march. But I would really like to see, for example, Christians marching for the Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see white people marching and saying, I am black too. You know what I mean? Like I, the oppressors to march and do, it can't always be the victims or on the victim's shoulders to make a case for themselves. Don't hate me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like you. I would like to be the oppressors also. You know, men march down the street and say, protect her or respect her, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, at respect her, <laughs> whatever. Uh, you know, because I think... It would be great to see those who have traditionally been the oppressors realize that we have to stop it. So and kind of stand for the others, um, um, you know, side. I mean, to kind of that way too. But yeah. and I think I think that's been something um, I've been following a lot of what's been happening in New Zealand mm. um, following oh, yeah. the shooting in Christchurch a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think like I've seen the pictures of you know um, like Christians standing outside mosques during the call to yes. prayer. Um, and during, you know, the prayer times five yes. times a day, and they stand out there, you know, protecting their communities. Yeah. Um, our Darren, the, of course, PM of yeah. New Zealand, has been wearing um, a veil. Yeah. Um, newscasters in New Zealand have yeah. been wearing them, yeah. um, just like normal women walking around have been wearing them. And so I think that also what you were saying about, you know, like demonstrations and marches, both in, in big ways but also in small ways, I think that it is important, like you said, to sort of not take the agency away from these people because right. you don't, you, like, if you want to march for yourself, you yeah. should be able to. But Absolutely. I think that also you have to, like, we should also instill a balance with people who are in positions of, like, authority, I guess you could say, um, and who have privilege, utilizing their privilege to bring attention right. um, to those whose voices aren't yeah. as yeah. strong, yeah. to the voices of, you know, like, Hispanic right. and, you know, South American people yeah. who are treated differently in this country, yeah. Um, yeah. the voices of African Americans, yeah. of the LGBTQIA yeah. plus community, um, of women, of, right. you know, all of these um, communities and, you know, minorities and things like that. Yeah. 
it's not about speaking for them. It's just kind of speaking for yourself, saying, I am I yeah, decide now that I'm not a racist or that I'm not and you know, it's misogynist. Letting them, I'm not it's letting homophobic. them speak for themselves, but also you using yes. your authority and your position in society not yes. to speak for them, but to elevate their voices. Right, right. And to broadcast their voices um, by using your privilege yeah. that you have just by who you are, the yeah. color of your skin, your position in society, things sure. like that. Um, so I would agree with you that that's something that mm-hmm. I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've been really, um, really um, inspired by what I've seen in New Zealand. Yes. Um, and talking with our guest, Timmy, from last week and sort of um, talking about, you know, her country and what she's been seeing. And I think that it's so inspiring and that it sets a really good example. Sure. Um, because I think that in America, um, in America, um, especially a conversation that we have a lot after things happen is, well, what is the appropriate, you know, response? Like, I don't want to push them, but I don't want to not do nothing. Right. Like, how should I react? Right. And so I think that it's interesting to take note, especially of what's happening in New Zealand. Um, if any of you listeners out there haven't seen these pictures, you can look them up. You can find them on the New York Times, Vox, Fox News, all of the sources um, have them out there. But it's been really, really interesting to see yeah. kind of how such a small country um, has really united yeah. around protecting yeah. these communities and also speaking out for the violence that yeah. happened to them. After after Pittsburgh, um, we had we had a service at the uh, local synagogue, Bet Shalom, and I mean, people could not fit in. People were even standing outside on the street. Everybody, Christians, Muslims, they all came to show their, you know, their empathic feelings of sorrow and and support to us. And so last Friday, where we actually talked that I, I might be on the show as well, I told you I couldn't. I, w- I went to the local mosque, uh, and there were a lot of Jewish women with me and Jewish a man from our commun- local community. We went to the mosque for the memorial service for New Zealand, and it was wonderful. We, it's a it's a gesture, but it's an important gesture. We're all there, and we said we are against this. We are with you. We are sorry for you. We bring our condolences, and you know, it's most people out there are really. We are okay. We are a huge majority of people who are actually okay. Um, yeah. Sadly, it's this. It's the minority. Um, it's these people that just thrive in, I don't know, um, spreading hate and fear. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's money to be made in it with it. Yeah. And I, I think, wonder. <laughs> I, think, I think it's important above all to, again, not speak for those, who, for those people, but instead yeah. to elevate their voices yes. and to make sure that they're yes. heard because so often they aren't. Yeah. So I think that's something that's really important to me and that I really yeah. try to do in everything I do. Um, so one last, hopefully maybe a little bit more brighter, um, <laughs> and to our interview here. Um, so how do you propose that we teach the coming generations um, about not only the Holocaust mm. and anti-Semitism, but also um, discrimination in general? Oh, goodness. How do we teach? Um, Okay, I'm going to say something that might be shocking, but I think that um, while education is fundamental, uh, absolutely very important, I also think it's not everything. Um, I always tell my students that the Nazi nomenclatura, really the, the people high up there in power in the Nazi government, all had PhDs. So you can have an excellent education and know exactly what you're doing. Um, you know, Bannon is not an ignorant man. <laughs> it's, uh, you it's know, he true, had an yeah. education. So it's not an end. Same thing during the Holocaust. You had illiterate peasants who hid at the peril. You know, they, they put their own lives and the lives of the families at risk to save people. They just, you know, they were ignorant. They didn't go to school. They were illiterate and they did it. So... I think morality starts a little bit everywhere. It's, you know, in the programs we show on TV, 
in the um, in what happens in the families, how we talk about things to our children, and of course the schools, the teachers, God bless the teachers and the job they do from a very young age, um, the patience they put into it, the, the effort and, and the goodwill, and um, it's really a concerted effort of the entire society to teach ethics that wrong is wrong and that there's nothing to be gained from a society that lives in fear where if no if even a, a tiny little bit of society is unhappy is oppressed everybody is unhappy and miserable it's just there's nothing to be gained from hate and um how we go about it, it it's very difficult but speak out all the time um and it is hard because i have been in situations myself where i uh, you know where you it, it sometimes situations catch you by surprise and and you you smile you laugh you laugh it off you don't know whether you should leave that room and slam the door and say you just said something racist and i leave because maybe you risk your job maybe it's coming from your boss what do you do well that we do know what we should do when we hear this stuff from friends from family members from your boss from anybody we have to respond even if it might cost us our job the way we are liked by someone, um, friendships. But unfortunately, yes, there is a cost and we have to be ready to pay it. Speak out every time because it's a joke. It's a little, you know, subtle little innuendo. It can't be let pass as if, you know, we didn't hear it. We do hear it and we know what, what we should do, I think. And I wish myself to have the courage to do that more often and more strongly than probably I do. But, yeah. mm-hmm. And I think I think that's something, especially being a college student and sort of like figuring out, you know, I know like for a lot of us sort of where we are in the world and sort of, you know, how we want to live and things like that. I think that one of the things that I see a lot of my peers struggling with is like, well, I'm afraid to, you know, say this. I If, if somebody says something, I'm afraid to be like, hey, that's not nice. You shouldn't right. say that. Please stop. Because you are, you know, afraid of, you know, ruining a friendship yeah. or losing a position yes. or just, you know, losing like rapport with somebody. Right. But I think that it is important to be strong enough within yeah. yourself yeah. to recognize that something's wrong yeah. um, and to say, no, like, I'm not going to stand for yeah. that. Because I think, I think that experience even of, um, you know, like seeing people who agree with you on things like that is so powerful. Like I remember I went um, and I marched in D.C. last year and I had never done anything like that mm-hmm. before. And I, and, I mean, I almost cry even yeah. when, you know, now I like talk about it because it was so amazing powerful. just to stand there with people yeah. and to know that, like, yes you're supported and things like that. But I think that it is important in the small, like marching is a big way to show your support, but I think that you should also show your support in the small ways Absolutely. and that you should, and that you shouldn't be afraid to express your opinion and that it's important to be strong um, and what you believe and things like that. Um, And that also, you know, sort of what you were saying about how, you know, like it's important to, you know, go out and meet people and things like that. I feel like that's one thing um, that we're kind of harmed by, especially, you know, in this age where we're, like, on our phones a lot, which is good, like, don't get me wrong, like, I think that it's really, really awesome that we have access to, you know, so much information, and we can learn about other parts of the world, but I think it's also really important to just go out into your local community. I mean, I remember um, I, we were talking earlier about how when I was in high school, I had a project where I had to go visit a mosque, mm-hmm. and it was, I drove past it every single time that I went to work in the afternoon, um, but, I, but I had never been inside, and that experience alone changed my life, yeah. of going in there and talking with these people, and, you know, talking with the kids and playing, you know, ball with them and things like that and, you know, praying with them and just sitting and talking with them. 
um, was just so influential to me. And so I think it's really, really important, um, not only for us, but also for all you listeners out there, to just go into your community, talk with people, you know, just experience things um, outside of your own little bubble because I feel like we sometimes get trapped um, a little bit in sort of our own routine and that we get so busy that we forget to experience um, what's right outside of our little little bubble. So I think it's really, really important. Um, but thank you so much for <laughs> such you. a great show. Thank I am you. so happy so that we're going to have this. Thank I've been you. trying to get her on the show for forever. <laughs> um, so I'm really, really excited that we got to do it. And I hope that all of you lovely listeners out there enjoyed our show. Thank you again for listening to our voices drone on for two whole hours. Um, DJ Global Spins, is there anything that you would like to add? No, but thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. All right, guys. We'll be back with you all here next Friday at 12 o'clock sharp with a new a new guest. Who's it going to be? Um, Dr. Clementi, do you want to say anything as we depart? Grazie and shalom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a great week, guys, and keep it here on WUSC FM and HD1 Columbia after these quick PSAs for DJ Fluffy Cat and the Litter Box.